are back on High Motor by BetMGM. Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty here with the seventh and final college football preview for this season. We're going to the FCS today. And Chase, you mentioned this on the show before. You mentioned this on Twitter. There are good numbers to bet on in the FCS, both FBS, FCS games, FCS, FCS games. I think you've actually even dipped into the uh, somebody who was playing like Virginia State last year, two years ago, D2, so a little FCS, D2. Anyways, I mean, you've talked about if you know the level, if you know the marketplace, like if you know the numbers, there are so many opportunities each week. So we're going to kind of dip into that today, more of a general like 10,000-foot overview, I guess, of FCS with Sam Herter of Hero Sports. And Sam, I want to start here. I'm sure that Chase has a show entirely laid out, but I'm gonna I want to get my biggest curiosity in before you two get after it here. And this is something that Chase that you've actually said a few times on our show. You've said that you think we're gonna see just a different year at the FBS level with all of these fifth and sixth year seniors returning. The returning production numbers are crazy across the board. We've cited that numerous times. You kind of see that like as a potential leveling of the playing field not to the extreme of like one of these teams at the top you know like Oregon State Washington State I mean one of, the, one of these teams that have 95 96 returning production percent of the returning production you're not saying those teams would be challenging the powers in college football but maybe with all that Alabama loses Ohio State Clemson etc maybe there's an opportunity for some of these like second tier middle class teams to challenge for a conference championship to challenge for a 10 or 11 win season that they're really not otherwise capable of doing in most seasons. Sam, do you see any of that in the FCS this year? And obviously with all the caveats, they just finished their season. I don't even know what, four months ago, something three like months that. ago to the day, three months ago to the day, not as many guys leave early for the draft from the FCS, like all of that stuff that we already know. But do you think that there's anything behind Chase's theory that we may also see in the FCS that could result in some of the non-traditional powers being real contenders come December and January? I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case in the FCS just because I, I think you're still going to have a a tier one and this year I think the tier one will be a bit more uh, loaded in the FCS because it's usually North Dakota State versus James Madison versus the field. Now it's it's looking like a five-way between North Dakota State, James Madison, South Dakota State, Sam Houston versus the field. And so the tier one of the FCS does beef up a little bit. But I think it's one of the things where the the rich get richer with the free year of eligibility where, you know, NDSU already had so much more depth than everyone else. James Madison already had so much more depth than everyone else in their conference. Uh, and so with all their starters coming back as well, you know, that just, that just means that they can rotate even more. Um, you know, a team, a team like James Madison is going to be rotating just a ton of guys on the defensive line uh, with very little drop off. And that's something that, Delaware or Villanova or, or Stony Brook or any of those teams are probably not going to be able to do. And so I, I don't necessarily think that's going to be case going to be the case with the FCS just because these teams that already have so much more depth than the other teams uh, is just going to be even more so this year. Yeah, totally agree. It's a, it's a slightly different landscape, I think, because when you look at Alabama and Ohio State and they just dump a bunch of dudes in the into the NFL. North Dakota State, which we all understand what they've done, even if you're you know, sort of a, a lay fan of the FCS, they don't dump 15 guys into the NFL every year. You know, it's, it's two or three in a good year. So in terms of the draft. So it is a little different. And, it, and instead of 
making the top echelon weaker. It actually makes them stronger because now you have an extra year, just like Sam was saying, for all these really great players that would move on otherwise. Uh, so I do think that uh, that what Sam is alluding to is probably true. I think the dynamic that I want to start with here is is kind of what we've already alluded to is how recently the the last season ended. You know, it's when we talk about FBS football, you know, everybody offers the caveat of like, ah, oh, COVID year, so weird. Man, I, take a walk in the FCS season shoes, man. Like it was so weird starting a season in February. You have conferences trying to opt out. You have random teams trying to opt out. And we're not talking about, you know, programs that nobody cares about. Like the Montana schools are blue bloods of FCS football. Neither one of them played. So you have a case where, you know, Sam Houston played their last game three months ago. And they're about to play a whole nother season versus Montana State, who we know is probably good. They were in the, the, the semifinal in 2019, but they haven't played a game in two years. So I'm thinking, I'm wondering, Sam, what do you think the dynamic is between those two extreme poles where you have teams that are playing basically back-to-back seasons and you have teams where basically, you know, you have a recruiting class that's coming in and they're like juniors and they've, they've never even played a game before. It's just an odd, it's an odd situation uh, to be in. And I'm wondering how you think those dynamics are going to affect this fall. Yeah, there was just no continuity at all across the FCS with, you know, some teams wanting to play in the fall, some teams wanting to push it to the to the spring, some teams playing a full fall schedule anyways, like Central Arkansas, where they played, I want to say, four FBS opponents. Uh, most teams end up playing in the spring, some conferences opted out, some teams opted out before the season started, some teams opted out in the middle of the season. It was just an absolute mess. And so, like you said, you have a team like Sam Houston that played just three months ago, they played 10 games. They're turning it around and playing 10 more games in the fall regular season. And then plus, you know, they'll have to win four games to win the national championship again. Then you have a team like Montana state or Towson or Sacramento state that they didn't play any games at all in 2020 or 2021. You have teams, like I mentioned, central Arkansas, uh, Stephen F. Austin is another one. Teams that played eight games in the fall, no games in the spring. You have a team like Montana who decided to not be a part of the championship portion of the spring season, but played two. They weren't even exhibition games because they count, like they count toward like if the quarterback threw for 300 yards, like that counts toward his career. So like they counted, they were legit NCAA games, but they didn't count toward the FCS championship portion portion of the spring season. So yeah, it was just an absolute mess. In my opinion, I think teams are better off playing more games than playing none. You know, I, I think Weber state is going to be able to execute at a higher level early on in the season than Sacramento state who hasn't played in, in, in basically two years now. Uh, I was at the big sky media days late last month and I asked all the players how their bodies are feeling. Uh, the teams that did play obviously. And they said their bodies now at the end of July, Felt the same as they usually are uh, at, at the end of the July. You know, they had some bumps and bruises going into May, but you know they're they're young. They're the best. They're some of the best athletes in the world. They said they feel you know just fine going into this season. There's not a whole lot of carryover as far as bumps and bruises and all that. My worry is just you know if you're North Dakota State, James Madison, you get into November and December of the fall playoffs, and all of a sudden. You know, you're going over 20 games played in a calendar year, and maybe they are a step too slow, or maybe you do see a couple more 
significant injuries is because the snaps start to mount up. But as far as the, the start of the season, I think you're better off. The teams that played in the spring, I think, are better off than the teams that decided not to. And maybe that ends up being some kind of uh, counterweight to the depth of those two programs of a mass, you know, that, hey, maybe they have more depth, but also they've they've played more games than almost anybody. We know Sam Houston has, has obviously played a lot of games, too, in South Dakota State. I want to talk about the poll. Uh, you guys put out the poll. It was about a month ago. We've got the very top here. Number one, Sam Houston. Number two, James Madison. Number three, South Dakota State. Number four, North Dakota State. Five, Southern Illinois. Six, Delaware. Tied for seventh, Montana State. Tied for seventh, Weber State. Nine, Montana. Ten, North Dakota. A lot of familiar names in there. Is it fair to say that this is going to be... uh, a somewhat similar season to what we have seen in the past in that the powers that be, the teams that have depth, the teams that have consistency, the teams that have momentum, there's not going to be a ton of shakeup at the top. It'll be pretty similar, especially when you get to the quarterfinals and semifinals. You know, you're, you're probably going to have seven out of the eight teams in the quarterfinals coming from the quote-unquote Power 3 FCS conferences, which are the Missouri Valley the CAA and the Big Sky uh, in no particular order before any Big Sky fans uh, come at me. So you'll probably see seven teams for those conferences and then maybe one, you know, like a Sam Houston from a, a non-Power 3 conference. Same thing with the semifinals, probably get three out of four or four out of four. Uh, and, and then in the title game, like I said at the start, it usually has been NDSU versus someone, usually uh, James Madison, but there's been an Eastern Washington that has snuck in there in, in recent years. But you're, you are going to see kind of the, the same blue blood names at the top. You'll see Sam Houston, James Madison, South Dakota State, North Dakota State. Uh, the two the, the two Montana schools are, will be in the mix. Uh, Delaware is, is a blue blood that hasn't been especially nationally relevant in recent years, but they did make the semifinals in the spring, and so they'll be at the top as well. But I, I don't think you're going to see, you know, kind of just a, a, a random – you know, decent. I don't like. I don't think like Chattanooga. They're they're a decent, pretty good FCS team that you know is is a playoff contender. But I don't think it's gonna be one of those years where a team like you know Chattanooga or, or, or Wofford or Eastern Kentucky, just kind of a random team like that, sneaks up and wins it all. You're you're, you're still gonna see whoever the national champion is is, is a, a pretty well known FCS commodity. Probably not like a Youngstown State makes it to the finals kind of year, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. I want to ask a couple more pointed questions about a couple of these teams. The first of which is Sam Houston. So if we have people who are general fans here, then, then they might not follow along with all the details. But I think the FCS audience that's listening is, is going to understand what I'm saying. Sam Houston went on one of the weirder national title runs I can remember for any D1 playoff thing. Like it's it's not just this is not just an FCS comment. They They play an opening round game against Monmouth where... Like, there's a weird argument that Monmouth kind of outplayed them, but they were never close to winning that game. Uh, the North Dakota State game, super weird. North Dakota State has multiple touchdowns on special teams, but they're never really in the game because they can't move the ball at all. But also, they're on the 30-yard line with a minute to play and can win the game. Just super weird. The JMU game, I, I that is the biggest... We're going to give a game away collapse I've ever seen JMU play. I mean, you you got to give a massive credit to Sam Houston because they just made plays. Like, they, they're, I mean, that sounds super cliche, but they have some really, really talented skill guys on that team that just pulled them back from getting smashed and end up winning that game. 
And then the championship game, again, super weird. Uh, you've got a massive thunderstorm. I'm texting you in the middle of it like, hey, there's a tornado warning. Be careful. <laughs> uh, there, There is... So, like, I don't even remember how long that delay was, but it felt like it was a couple hours. Yeah. South Dakota State's quarterback gets hurt, like, five seconds into the game. It's It was just a really weird run. So I guess what I'm asking here in a sort of roundabout way is, how much of what happened last year was the sort of bounce of the ball that you expect championship teams to figure out and get? Uh, because, we, you know, we see it over and over in sports, like, Teams that win championships, oftentimes they are both great and lucky. And I definitely watched that thinking, man, they are getting so many bounces. Is that recreatable? Are they going to be right back in that spot this year? Because we know the talent they have and we know the coaching they have. So I'm wondering how much of the spring is recreatable for them this fall. Right. And, and that's, I, I wrote an article talking about, you know, I took the top four teams, Sam Houston, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and James Madison. And I basically laid out reasons why they can win the national championship and why they can't. And with Sam Houston, I said the reason they can is because, you know, I, I did, I did feel like they were the, the best team. Uh, in the FCS in the spring, I thought they were the most balanced uh, defensively, just really, really strong, explosive offense. And so I don't think it was one of those things where I would call their run uh, luck by any means. And they have basically every returning starter coming back and they have a, a regular season schedule where I think they can go 10 and 0, which means the number one playoff seed, which means home field advantage until Frisco, Texas, where the, where the national championship game is held. And so that's the reasons why, uh, the reasons I laid out why Sam Houston could win it, but the reasons, why they can't is basically exactly what you said is, you know, at what point does the ball not bounce their way or they have some unfortunate bounce of the ball or maybe it's an injury or, or maybe it's just certain circumstances because any one of those, and you laid it out, Chase, any one of those playoff games, those four playoff games in the spring, Sam Houston easily could have lost. And so I know there there's two ways to look at Sam Houston uh, coming into this year. Sam Houston is kind of the program that gets a lot of hate from FCS fans. And so a lot of fans are kind of looking at it as, yeah, you know, the Bearcats won it all, but it was this weird spring season. You know, they, they kind of got, you know, a couple, you know, balls that, that bounced their way. Uh, you know, they barely beat Monmouth in the first round. So are they, are they really that good? South Coast State starting quarterback who was a freshman All-American. He got hurt in the championship game or else maybe the Jacks would have won. And so, there, there isn't a lot of love for the defending champs going into this season. And even at the Big Sky Media Days, I asked the, you know, anonymously, I asked the Big Sky head coaches where I didn't, I didn't uh, uh, source them on it, but I asked them who their national championship favorite, who their national championship favorite is. And I think only two out of the 13 said Sam Houston. And then like five said North Dakota State. And then another four said uh, James Madison. So even, you know, coaches are kind of looking at Sam Houston wondering if they can do it again just because of how they won their playoff games in the spring. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, I know South Dakota State's going to get shortchanged here because they lost. So they, they made the game, but they didn't win it. So they're not going to get any of the credit. And they don't have sort of the national, uh, we've we've held the trophy. We've we've had it in our town respect that North Dakota State and JMU get. But I mean, they're they're right there. Like as, and I think real FCS fans know that. But I, I mean, what... What they've done in Brookings the last five years, they're right there as a semifinal team that can win it with the right bounces with everybody else. Obviously, we've mentioned North Dakota State a couple times. I'm wondering what your take is just on what's going on in Fargo. 
look, it, it, people are going to say I'm a hater for saying this. It had to end at some point. Like, you don't just win 75 national championships in a row. That doesn't happen. And so I thought last year looked on paper like an obvious step back year. But I also felt the same about la- the previous year, not knowing how good Trey Lance was going to be. So do you th- do you see them holding ground? Do you see them getting back to a more North Dakota State place where they are more dominant? They they weren't they weren't great last year. I, I don't know how else to say it. They I thought they actually outperformed what they had on paper. They lost a ton. I mean the the gap from Trey Lance to who they had in that quarterback room left over was pretty massive. I mean there's a reason the guy got drafted third and is pushing Garoppolo now for us for the starting job allegedly. If you want to believe camp reports, <laughs> uh, I, it just it feels to me I, I'm so interested in what happens in Fargo this year. What's what's your early uh, intel on on where they're going to end up this year in, in terms of the North Dakota State standard that they like to talk about? Yeah, and the had NDSU played a normal 2020 fall season and the FCS played in the fall of 2020, that probably could have been an all-time great yes. FCS team. But the 2021 spring team, they were without their two draft picks. You know, obviously Trey Lance went in the first round. Left tackle Dylan Radons went in the second round, I, I want to say. Uh, they also lost their all-conference center who graduated uh, and just got a job. Uh, two of their top four wide receivers were out with injuries. Two of their running backs were out, one with an injury. I think one transferred and ended up at Western Kentucky. Uh, then their shutdown cornerback, uh, basically opted out midseason, entered the transfer portal, and I think Hayes ended up at I want to say Virginia or maybe it was Virginia Tech. Um, and so I mean they just lost a ton of talent and just that nobody one... can survive that. FBS teams can't survive. Yeah, that, and, and like just... we talked about at the start, there's that's no NDS... knock on them. Yeah, NDSU, James Madison, maybe South Dakota State. Those are three teams that can lose a star player. It, and still be fine and still win a national championship just because they have depth that other FCS teams do not have. But, I mean, this was just probably obviously way too much for NSU to overcome, yet they still were within 20 yards of scoring and beating eventual national champion Sam Houston in the quarterfinals. And so this was their worst team in 10 years, and they still were, by I guess by FCS standards, pretty good. Uh, and so they'll be fine this fall. They, they have a lot of those guys that were injured uh, coming back. They played a lot of freshmen and sophomores in the spring. Uh, their quarterback issues, we'll see if they get solved. But Zeb Nolan, who transferred from Iowa State, he was not the answer. He just looked rattled back there. And uh, he was a statue in the pocket as well. And NSU really likes to lean on their quarterback run game. And so they brought in a transfer who... Uh, I believe he was actually on the spring roster, but he couldn't play because of uh, transfer uh, transfer protocols. And that uh, that's Quincy Patterson, former four-star recruit uh, from Virginia Tech. It sounds like he's most likely going to win the starting job. Uh, he, he's a big guy, uh, can run the ball, and so he'll obviously fix the quarterback run issues that NSU had. I think the question mark on him is how accurate of a passer he is. And so that's that's really what NDSU struggled with most in the spring was their downfield passing attack. And so we don't have an answer just yet, you know, if, if that's going to improve that much in the fall. Uh, but it, it'll be hard to 
you know, it'd be hard to play any worse than what Zeb Nolan did in the spring. And so NDSU should be improved at the quarterback position, should be stronger basically at every position as well, just through returning uh, starters coming back or, or guys coming back from injury. And so I, I, I don't think this is a 2018 type team or a 2019 type team that, that went undefeated and just rolled everyone. Uh, I, I do think right now I, I do like South Dakota State's roster uh, better overall. Um, and so I don't think NSU is just going to roll through the Valley and roll through the playoffs, but I do think they are probably a semifinal team. And then just depending on quarterback play can, can, you know, easily be right back in Frisco and winning another national t- title. Yeah. And, and I mean, at the Valley, not a two team league either at this point. I mean, I, I have been critical sometimes of the Valley's depth in the past, but I think when you look at what they have right now, Southern Illinois has got some stuff put together. It, it feels like UND is going to be competitive. And uh, obviously the schools in Fargo and Brookings. So, I mean, that's, that's four really, really good ones. Uh, I, I, I don't want to hear any more about Illinois State for a while. Uh, Northern <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> I don't want to hear any more about Northern Iowa for a while. Uh, but, uh, I mean, w- look, when, when they can average like 10 points a game, I guess you call me. But it's, it's, it, it feels like every year it's like Illinois State. Illinois State is like the Texas of FCS where they're like, well, you know, we know what we know what the program does. We know what the brand does. Pencil them at seventeen in the preseason poll, and then they're like two and five in a in an admittedly tough conference. But they, you know, well, you know, like if they were in a different conference, I don't know, man. They're two and five. Like, figure it out. Take them out of the. Pool. What was the team? What were we talking about the other day? Was it in the SoCon? What team were you you brought up where everyone's like, "Hey, look out for this team," and then they're five and six. What team was that? Oh, that could be any. I don't know Mercer. Furman, maybe? I, I think Mercer. Mercer. It was Mercer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mercer's been a really trendy preseason team the last few years, and then every year it's like, nope, they're. Don't worry about them. They're, yeah, the I same mean, can fine. be said. Same can be said for Furman and Villanova. They've gotten a lot of preseason love and end up not doing yeah, much. Yeah, Villanova, Villanova made definitely. the playoffs in 2019, but that's about it. Yeah. Well, it, it's a it's a matter of scale with Villanova because it's like, hey dark horse national title contender and it's like you know they're good they're fine but you know they're a fringe playoff team so yeah i mean every conference has one of those i I think sac state was that for a while in uh in in the big squad and now the sac state's actually been pretty decent but uh, there were a couple years there i definitely know i bit on the bait where i was like sac state watch out nine and two and then they were like four and seven (laughs) um i want to talk FBS upsets. I think uh, we one of the trends that, that you and I have definitely seen the last couple of years is fewer FCS upsets beating FBS teams and fewer FCS draft picks. And there's a lot of reasons for that. That's a whole other podcast episode. But I do think that we could see a fair few this fall. So I've got a list here and I'm going to rattle through a couple of them. You tell me if any of them stand out to you as, ooh, I don't know, maybe watch that one. Uh, we've got Eastern Washington, UNLV, South Dakota State, Colorado State, Montana State, Wyoming, Holy Cross, UConn, North Carolina A&T playing Duke, Southeastern Louisiana playing Louisiana Tech, Southern Illinois, Kansas State, Delaware, Rutgers, William & Mary, UVA. I mean, there's a lot more, but I think those are the ones that really stand out to me as definitely a potential like eh, I might I might be looking at the number there and then a lot of them just maybe outright winners where do you want to go with this maybe something even I didn't mention but you might have in your notes like you can go anywhere you want 
Yeah, I wrote an article on it. Uh, it's titled Most Likely FCS Over FBS Wins in 2021. If anyone's interested in reading that, uh, it should pop up right away on Google, uh, thanks to our SEO practices that Dowdy and I have have learned quite well. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, it's on heroesports.com. And I, I listed 15 of them, uh, the top 15. And Chase, I think all the ones you mentioned are, are somewhere on there. Uh, I think you said Holy Cross and UConn. I actually have Yale beating UConn. Uh, but I mean, certainly UConn could end up losing to, to two FCS opponents. But I do think Yale uh, might be a stronger team this year than than Holy Cross. But yeah, my, my number one... I'm not sure if you mentioned this one. I actually have Monmouth uh, beating Middle Tennessee. Uh, I mean, Monmouth, we, we talked about them earlier, but they almost beat the eventual national champs in the spring, Sam Houston, in the first round. And they have a lot of dudes coming. I mean, essentially every FCS team that played in the spring has their entire team coming back. But they have a lot of explosive weapons uh, on offense, and they're always tough defensively. So I think that's one to circle. And then South Dakota State at Colorado State is the other one that you know, I'm, I'm pretty much predicting as a straight up FCS win instead of a potential upset because we always used to use the word potential upset just because you never know how some of these games are going to go. But I do think SDSU has a good chance to beat Colorado State just depending on quarterback play uh, because, like we mentioned, the, the the star freshman quarterback got hurt in the title game in the spring, and so he won't be back until the fall of 2022. Uh, and so they have a transfer in from from Samford, uh, Chris Ola Dugan. Ola Dukan, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. And so if he's the guy, if he gives them pretty good play, uh, the Jackrabbits are pretty loaded on the roster otherwise. And, you know, Colorado they could be State favored in that, that good... game. They could definitely be favored in that game. Yep. Uh, all, I've got Albany-Syracuse here, too. I don't think I mentioned earlier, if you're an undercover believer. Uh, what's – I don't know. I, I guess I think a good place to end here – Oh, you know what? No, there was one other thing I wanted to mention on the upsets, and this was specifically for Andrew here. We've talked a couple times now about South Dakota, Kansas. And Andrew, of course, is a fatalistic Kansas alum. I am trying to tell him I don't think South Dakota can win this game. Who Who's right? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think South Dakota is going to win, honestly. They are a middling... Missouri Valley football conference team. Uh, they have a couple of good linebackers, uh, you know, but overall defensively, they haven't been that good. Uh, they have a young quarterback named Carson camp who, I mean, I don't know how you rate this, but he probably has the best looking spiral in the FCS. I mean, when he throws it, it's just like, Oh, that's, that's, you know, just beautiful throwing form, nice looking spiral, but the accuracy, you know, sometimes he misses high, you know, sometimes he misses long and stuff like that. But I mean, he's, he's, he's a, I think he has potential to be a pretty decent uh, quarterback at the FCS level, uh, but he'll be just a true sophomore, you know, and I know playing at Kansas probably isn't the most, you know, vaunting of a, oh. of, of, of an environment to play in, but I don't, I, I did not have that one in my top 15. Where Andrew, does like, you gonna go maybe to this game? is a question for, <laughs> I'm not going to be at that game. <laughs> Chase, maybe this is a question for you. Like where does, like, what is the South Dakota South Dakota equivalent like in the FBS? Like, would it be like a mid-level G five team? Like, that's are they like the North Texas of like the FBS? Is that kind of like where they sit this year? No, just so I can have an idea. You have to put them in a power conference because the, the Missouri Valley has put together a lot of really strong years the last decade. I, I'd say maybe like a Wake Forest or a maybe like a Mississippi State or an Arkansas. I mean, it's. They're, they're a team that has 
decent resources and decent profile by virtue of the conference they've been in, but they haven't really been relevant since Chris Strebler left. And it's not like they were, you know, a real contender when he was there either. So it's, you know, it's, it's Sam, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. So what are they like a top 40? T- I know that the no. landscape, we've talked about this before, like the landscape in FCS versus FBS is just different. Are they like a top 40 FCS team? No. Top 50 to 60, because there, there's about 127 teams, so I would say top 60. Yeah, I'd top say top half. 60, yeah. Well, I'm taking the Coyotes. So. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Coyotes, sir. Yeah. I'm taking the Coyotes. Sorry to the fine people of Vermilion, South Dakota. <laughs> or you can just go with the Yotes, too. That works. Who gets more mad, Bison fans or just, Coyotes yes, fans no, when you mess come it on. up? It's not even close. Really? Bison. Not even a debate? Not even close. All right, the thing I want to end on here, obviously topical. Obviously, there is realignment rumors aflutter. And I think from from the people I've talked to, and also I'd say just kind of common sense, that you're not going to see a lot of FCS movement or maybe any FCS movement until the heavens above them sort of shake out and it's got to trickle down. But I'm, I'm wondering what, if anything, uh, your notion is of what eventual moves might look like, uh, teams that might be targeted for moving up next. Uh, any of that, any thoughts you have, you can go wherever you want. Yeah, I mean, right away, it felt like the entire landscape uh, was going to change when, you know, the we found out that Texas and Oklahoma were were leaving for the SEC and that just kind of created this whole, you know, everything's going to shift, but things have obviously slowed down uh, since. And I know, you know, I know Greg Medea, who is the James Madison Mm. uh, beat writer. He's been doing a lot of great reporting talking about, because if there's more, actually, shout out to Greg. He just got married. Oh, nice. Shout out. Greg. Oh, mazel tov. (laughs) But I mean, he's, cause if there's one FCS team that's situated best to move up to the FBS, it's James Masson. A lot of college football fans, casual ones, will think it's NDSU, but NDSU is probably like the, I don't know, the third, fourth, or fifth best positioned to make the move up when you just look at everything overall. Uh, but I know Greg had a story today, uh, and I think he was talking to the former commissioner of the Sun Belt. Um, and one of the last quotes said, if the Power Five just decides to kind of, you know, stick together, uh, then that just might. You know, there won't be a domino effect uh, at all that that goes down to the FCS. And, you know, there has been a couple of the rumors of, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the AAC uh, absorbs the Big 12 or or vice versa or something like that. Um, I also saw that Gene Taylor said he doesn't think uh, there's going to be any movements anymore across. I don't buy. Do you guys buy that? I don't buy that at all. I don't know if he's lying or just out of the loop, but there's no way. I mean, I don't know enough. He, He mentioned some. I don't can't remember what it is. Not a bill, but like uh, I don't even know what it is that that each conference has in place where it'd be hard for just the entire an entire Power Five conference to to basically dissolve. And so he mentioned that. He also said that the the eight remaining you know Big Twelve teams may think they're better off just sticking together. But I mean, who knows what's going on behind the scenes? But I mean, essentially, if that does happen, where there are there is no more movement in the Power Five conferences just kind of stick together within their own conferences, then that's not going to create a trickle down effect because the worry right away was 
Well, the Big 12 needs to add teams. They would might they might look to a couple of American conference American uh, conference teams, and then the American would, you know, look to possibly the FCS. And James Madison is right there. Or you know maybe the Big 12 would look to Boise State, and then NDSU is right there for the Mountain West to grab Boise State if Boise State leaves. And so that's how the trickle down effect would happen. Uh, but it seems like things have kind of slowed down a little bit lately. But who knows what's I, I'm less. I'm less fascinated about that trickle down and more fascinated about the NC the thing that the NCAA is doing with you know looking at restructuring how Division One athletics is formed um, and I think there's potential for three levels of Division One where you have the Power Five doing their thing with college football playoff and then you have the Group of Five uh, with you know maybe. 10 to 20 FCS teams where it's 85 scholarship. Um, and that kind of would be division one, double a, and then you'd kind of have the lower half of the FCS where they would stick with, you know, either 63 scholarships or even go down to 50 scholarships. Um, and that would be the third tier of D one, uh, with potentially some D two teams moving up. And so that's maybe some, maybe something like that will happen, but I don't know if there's going to be this major trickle down effect with a bunch of FCS teams moving up to the FBS, like maybe we initially thought when the news first broke. Yeah. And, and I've seen that theory out there a, cu- a couple of times now, and it does make a lot of sense. Like whatever else you might say about it, it makes a lot of sense because I mean, the, the, the gap between like a Presbyterian and a JMU when you're looking at FCS football is so massive that it, it's, it's kind of shocking. They exist in the same Space, I, yeah, it, like that, it, like that, that gap between Presbyterian <laughs> and James Madison is probably bigger than the gap between Alabama, Alabama and, and New Mexico State. Right. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's it. That's exactly what I was about to say. Like as big as the Alabama random G five team that's terrible gap is, it's probably bigger on the FCS level because of just. I mean, JMU has a sixty million dollar athletic department. It's it's a really big athletic department for. Uh, an FCS school and obviously they're sort of an outlier for this level and obviously I have like some more intimate knowledge of what their athletic department looks like relative to some other schools but it it is just it's so big and it it does make all the sense in the world to try to pair like the FCS schools that are consistently knocking down the playoff doors and going on these deep runs and have very cohesive and competent programs pairing them with G5 teams that are good and well-funded and know what they're doing, but also have no realistic shot at making an FBS playoff. So I'm I'm really interested in that idea. I would like to see some more details on it, but I think it's a great idea. Sam, I know you have your All-American teams that just came out. Do you have anything you want to plug? Where can we follow your stuff on social? All that stuff. Uh, yeah, so Herosports.com is the site, and then I'm on Twitter at Sam Herter FCS. Uh, the, yeah, the all American teams was kind of the last like really major project before the season starts. And so kind of just see more basic top returning players and stuff like that for the FCS. I'll be working on leading up to week zero. I have right. one question, Sam, I'm, I'm going to a couple of years ago when I had mentioned that JMU's head coach, Kirk, Kirk Signetti could, am I saying his name right? Signetti? Yeah, Signetti. Yep. yep. Signetti could potentially be in play. I can't even remember what job it was. And some J, I mean, they, he actually replied to some tweet from Brian McLaughlin and yada, yada, yada. So let's see if we can get people fired up here. Like, what FCS oh coach is next in line? You don't have to, like, give me a job or that they're going to go to this this school next year. You're just 
projecting based upon what you know and the general career arc of some of these guys like who is the next guy is it Signetti is it somebody else who's in line I think it's probably Jay Hill at Weber State I agree uh, he's I mean Weber State was absolutely terrible when he took over the job in 2014 and he's built them up to uh, to be you know they've consistently been in the quarterfinals and the semifinals in recent years and so he's done a, a really good job I know he I don't have his coaching history in front of me, but I know he was because uh, he has a lot of connections in the FBS, and that's how he's kind of turned things around at Weber State is, you know, being able to use his connections uh, and get fringe FBS scholarship guys to go to Weber State, and so he's he's well connected. I want to say he was one of the finalists Utah. for he was, he was a Utah for a long time. Yeah, for for yeah for Utah, and I think it was. Was it Utah or Utah State that had a job opening like last year, two years Utah ago? Utah State, yeah. So was he in line? So he was he interviewed for that job? Do you know? I don't, but I want to say when, when that job opened up, a lot of people pointed to, well, this has Jay Hill written all over yeah. it. And so I think I think he'll probably be next, uh, possibly even Casey Keeler, uh, too, from Sam Houston, just because he's been winning at the FCS for a long time. Um, I think he has interviewed in the past for some FBS jobs, but he's never. He's never gotten them, but I think, you know, maybe with winning a national title, um, he's the only FCS coach to do it at two different schools as a head coach. He won it at Delaware, and then he won it at Sam Houston in the spring, and so um, I think he, his name certainly has some buzz around it. And you know what else yeah. I would add to that yeah. is I don't expect I, – I don't think Bobby Petrino is trying to retire at Missouri State. I, I think – I know people will roll their eyes at that, but, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, well, he got them in the playoffs for the first time in 30 years in his first season. So who's gonna yeah. hire him, Chase? Like, what what I, job? I is understand he get? what you're saying. He's not gonna be at Missouri State until he retires. I uh, yeah, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> and it, it it's hard to you have to underscore what Sam just said. Missouri State. A lot of t- a lot of fans of other Valley teams. The nickname for Missouri State is Misery State. Okay, and in one <laughs> well, year. Cute. He had them in the playoffs. So that's pretty impressive. Say whatever else you want about Bobby Petrino, but he is making hay out of the situation he is currently in. He will be gone from that school sooner than later. Also, I would be surprised if Deion Sanders is at Jackson State in three years, either because things have gone really, really well and all the four-star recruits he's brought in uh, and they've won a couple HBC national titles and he gets an FBS FBS opportunity or, you know, the opposite could happen where things just go really, really, really bad because he's never been a, a head coach before where maybe things spiral out of control. But um, I think he can probably win a lot of games at Jackson State. And, you know, I think he knew that he would have to go to a place like JSU first at the FCS level, win as a head coach before, because he doesn't want to retire as head coach at Jackson State, you know. So I, I think, you know, he's because he applied for the Florida State job, didn't he? A few, I think he came out and said that he wanted it want yeah something like that yeah, yeah. which was i mean it's it, it's the equivalent of when i was 25 and i applied to be the editor-in-chief of a newspaper i was like hey why not i'll throw my hat into the ring <laughs> but it's not and maybe this is more just of a college basketball thing but like it happens i mean like penny hardaway got hired from an aau team like it's it's not completely out of the question some of these ad's who want to make that splash hire have that great press conference raise a bunch of money so as insane as it does sound like, I don't know if Deion Sanders is going to go from Jackson State to Florida State, but I think there are situations across college football where, like, that wouldn't be unprecedented, I guess. Let's see if he can beat a 500 uh, team first. 
All right, guys, we're back on <laughs> Thursday, August. 9th. I mean, I'm fine if you want to sit here and talk shit on Jackson State all day. If that's, I, if that's I, the I don't, direction I don't we want to talk go. shit on Jackson State. I just want to see him win a game I care about because they've got a lot of recruits and they haven't won anything yet. Didn't they get a bunch of top 25 votes last year after they beat nobody? It was pre. I think we, yeah, we had we had Sam on before the right. last season, yeah, and we talked February. about Jackson State for like 15 minutes, and it was it was yeah. a well deserved conversation. And everything, yeah, because they they started they, they started two and zero, and the two teams they beat weren't very good. And I I basically said that if if their head coach if they had their previous head coach still coaching, they would have gotten you know, top 25 votes. Uh, but since Dion was there, uh, they got top 25 votes. Since they had some FBS transfers, uh, they got top 25 votes. But, I mean, the his number one ranked recruiting class in the FCS weren't even on campus yet, obviously. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. The, the, the top 25 votes thing puzzles me, I guess. All right, we are back on Thursday. That's August 19th for a college football futures roundup. We're going to kind of revisit episode to put a bow on all the futures we've talked about in these seven episodes, maybe mention some new numbers we haven't talked about yet, revisit some that maybe have moved. So that'll drop on Thursday the 19th uh, before we're back the following Monday. That's one week from now for the first episode of Week Zero. Like Sam said, you can follow him on Twitter throughout the FCS season, at Sam Herder FCS. Ping Chase with any FCS betting questions or any just general betting questions as we approach college football in the NFL. That's at Chase A. Kitty. Send any other questions or topic requests to at High Motor Pod. Thank you for dropping by. We'll be back on Thursday, the 19th.